The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello, welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders, the program that makes people aware of the best leadership practices, leadership trends, thoughts about leadership. And I'm Kimberly Lewis. And we are reaching out to you today from Prague in the Czech Republic, and my guest is in New York. So either good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, wherever you may be listening from. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we're going to talk about everything. We talk about everything from gender balance in leadership to business values or to anything that may impact your organization or your individual career. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We, keep you, we try to keep you up to date on new leadership trends, the challenges leaders face today, and the opportunities that await us. Over the past few weeks, we've focused on a few different aspects of international business. Our goal in this program is to bring you leadership success stories and advice that you can learn from, motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be the key to your future success. We invite you to connect with us, send us your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com, join our Facebook page, Leadership Beyond Borders, or tweet with me, Kimberly Lewis, Leadership GBT, or join our LinkedIn group, Leadership Beyond Borders. You can also download this series on iTunes and subscribe to us. So if you are in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful either for your business or for yourself. So about today's episode, I've lived in quite a few countries, not as many of some of my colleagues, but I've lived in quite a few. And I very often have people ask me how to get an expatriate or an international assignment. People ask me all the time how I got my first assignment and ask me how exciting it was. And it was exciting, but there were also challenges that came with it. It's funny, the recall quota for expatriates, which would be inter- people on international assignments, can range from between 6% and 40%, depending on the country. And the higher numbers are not always in countries you would expect. For example, Great Britain has a very high recall quota. There are many things that contribute to this recall quota or this failure, as you might say, things like family, communication, accessibility to what people are used to, but also the inability to adapt to the new business culture. 
But the opportunities can also be exciting. It can be a great learning experience that can help you grow, not just as a leader, but also as a person. Today's episode looks at what it takes to succeed in an international assignment and how you may have to adapt your leadership style because not every leadership style is effective in every country or culture. And I'm really excited to have a great guest and a former colleague on the show with me today. Our guest today is Ben Legg. He's the CEO of AdParler. AdParler works with ambitious marketers to create personalized personalized customer journeys at scale. They help marketers connect with customers across Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, all to drive both online and offline engagement. AdParler is headquartered across Toronto, Kansas City, New York, and Singapore, and has employees in 20 offices around the world. So not only is the company great, but Ben is great. He's an expert and proven leader in shaping the digital world. His expertise lies in global expansion, personalized marketing, digital strategy, e-commerce, big data, and a bunch of other things, Ben, and organizational transformation and culture. Ben's lived in nine countries and worked as an advisor to 50-plus investors, boards, and CEOs across the world. He's a public speaker, author, and he is the gold winner in 2017 of the CEO World Awards for the Metrics Persons category. So, Ben, welcome. It's so great to be back in touch with you. Yeah, likewise. It's good to catch up. Yeah. So I, I, I have one question I didn't <laughs> prepare you for. What's the met? What's the metrics person category award? So <laughs> the yeah, there, there, there was a long, detailed questionnaire and interview uh, around how you run the company. They were looking for someone who uses metrics both to run the company as well as to design products and and services, etc. So. You know, the, the, the questionnaire that they used was around, you know, what dashboards do you use? How often do you use them? How do you set goals? How do you monitor success? But also, how do you use data to identify products or services? How do you use data for innovation, et cetera? So it's kind of like using data in everything you do. And, and I guess that's always just been part of the way I do things. I'm an engineer and I like to run numbers on, on most things that, or anything that you can. Well, congratulations. That's really impressive. Thank you. Um, could you just give us like a quick description of your company before we start in with the international assignments and um, what today's episode's about? Sure. So AdParler is a global company. It, it's primarily a media buying platform. So we integrate into the ads APIs. Uh, so have a sort of um, integrate into the plumbing of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and LinkedIn. And what we basically do is help large demanding advertisers run all their social media in one place. Um, and that way we can you know, move budgets between platforms. We can mm-hmm. compare um, the ROI on different platforms. We can use creative across multiple platforms, et cetera. Okay, great. Well, thank you. So let's let's go on to what today's episode's about. And um, I'm going to jump right in. You've lived in... in in nine countries, and you've mm-hmm. successively adapt your personal life and, and your leadership lifestyle in these countries. Um, so let's kind of first with our with our listeners establish you are you are British, yes, and um, you've lived in nine countries. But I'm sure you've probably worked in, in more than that. How many have you worked in, and what was your favorite? 
So I've, I've kind of lost count. It's over 50 countries I've worked in. It's probably about 60 or 65. Um, and some of the countries I've, I've worked in have been broken up or restructured in different ways. So, for example, you know, former Yugoslavia is now six countries. I've worked mm-hmm. in four or five of them, etc. Um, but call it over 60. Um, my favorite is tricky because I actually, I think I'm, a, I'm a, an eternal optimist and therefore I find something good in every country. But I would probably say Singapore has been my favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. I've lived there twice for seven months each, and I've probably visited between three and five times a year for a lot of my career. Um, and what I love about Singapore, it, it's possibly the best run country in the world. You know, there's sort of zero crime, zero unemployment, amazing infrastructure, not just in terms of efficiency, but also in terms of lifestyle, great uh, you know, walking paths everywhere, cycle paths everywhere, amazing parks. It's a great place to do business, you know, very talented workforce zero corruption, um, a lot of, sort of leaders all in one place. It's got a great airport for connecting around Asia, et cetera. So uh, I kind of, oh, and it's also warm year round, which is pretty nice. So you add it all together. <laughs> every time I land in Singapore, I, I just sort of, you know, um, I, I feel happy. Yeah. So I have to say that Singapore is one of my favorite cities also. I, ha- I haven't lived there, but I've worked there and it's fantastic. But let, let's just look at that for a second here. You, Singapore, nine countries, 50 you've worked in, and most recently you moved to Kansas City and New York. Mm-hmm. Now, when you and I know each other, and I was quite surprised when you moved to Kansas City. Now, I spent three years in Missouri myself, and it's nothing against Missouri or Kansas City, but it's just there's such a, a, a difference between Singapore, Europe, mm-hmm. and Kansas City. So how did you make that decision? Um, so really, I guess it was primarily the job. Um, so I had been the sort of number two in various organizations for about four jobs in a row. So COO or, or just you know, right hand man of various jobs. And I was looking for my first sort of independent company CEO role. And um, so I, I, what I realized quickly is that very few multi-billion dollar companies would trust me to be CEO given that I hadn't been a CEO before. So I was looking for a company you know, with hundreds of millions in revenue, I found this you know, privately owned company that had some amazing strengths but needed a lot of work to, to sort of professionalize. And I thought that's a great opportunity for me. And I'm definitely one to sort of, you know, go and live wherever uh, I can add the most value. And the company had been founded in Kansas City uh, and the biggest office was Kansas City. And when I joined, it was actually a pan North America business without much outside of North America. And Kansas City is actually smack bang in the middle of, of the U.S. So uh, it's actually a pretty good place to run a U.S.-only company from. Uh, so I went there, and I must say, um, I, I found Kansas City to be a really great place to live. It's uh, got awesome housing, great people, lovely weather. It's a big enough city to have uh, Premier League sports teams in every major sport in the U.S. It's big enough to be on the road trip for any major sort of um, pop artist traveling around America. Um, so overall good. The, the final thing I would say is I'm not sure I could have lived in Kansas City if my job didn't involve travel. Mm-hmm. Nothing against Kansas City. I love it. But I was still traveling to New York, to San Francisco, to Toronto, to London, to Singapore. And I do love traveling. And, and so effectively, Kansas City was a place I would go home to hang out with friends and family. And it was a pretty awesome place to do that. So I think I think what I'm taking from this is that many of us who are looking for for international jobs, it's really the opportunity of of where that position is going to be is going to drive us in that direction. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. So then you then you went to New York, um, and uh, I'm just going to stay with the the a few questions here uh, about in the states. So mm-hmm. New York and Kansas City. So mm-hmm. they're different too. I mean, a lot of people talk about the differences in countries, but within the United States itself, there's some cultural differences. Oh yeah. So so. And Kansas City is very American. They still find a British accent exotic. Um, they only, you know, focus on American sports, not international sports. Um, you know, most people have jobs that are either focused on the Midwest or maybe the U.S., but very few internationally minded people. So, from that perspective, it's much more American. New York is a global city. It's in in many ways, it's much easier, I think, for expats. You know, especially expats who've yeah. lived in London or Singapore to live in New York because mm-hmm. it, it's you know it, it maybe it's the business city of North America just like London is the business city of, of uh, Europe or Singapore is the business city of of uh, Asia you know great airports people from all over the world um, hungry ambitious people lots of culture etc so uh, New York's a lot easier New York has its own quirks even compared to say London or Singapore it's probably noisier smellier um, dirtier but it's probably also <laughs> slightly higher energy. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's pros and cons yeah. to everywhere, but you know, probably the yeah. biggest thing I've noticed about New York is the energy level. Everyone wants yeah. everything yesterday, which I love. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the statistics with the international assignments, with the recall rate between 6 and 40%. And this recall rate is, is not... This is really the people who are recalled. These are not the people who kind of coast along or the people who just go home and say that was nice. But why do you think, do you have any insight to this? It seems quite high to me. I, like a lot of jobs, it's, it might, my guess is it's probably more in the selection than anything else. So if you think about it, 5 to 10% of people fail in any job, even if they're not an expat, um, mm-hmm. because of hiring mistakes or because you know, people change or, or job descriptions change and people no longer fit. Um, so from that perspective, it's always about selection. Um, you know, number one is you've got to get the right person for the right job. Number two is you've got to get someone who can actually fit with the culture that they're going to. Um, and if I think about, you know, what do I think makes expats succeed? I've, I've been an expat, but I've also hired a lot of expats and seen some pass, and some succeed and some fail. I think the key is to be a successful expat, you probably need to be quite well-traveled already so that you're, you're used mm-hmm. to other cultures. You definitely need to be open-minded around you know, the fact that people might do stuff differently and, and they're keen to learn too. Um, and, and linked to that, like curious about other cultures. You know, living in India, uh, India is very different. I, I think around Europe, I found most cultures to be broadly similar, whereas in somewhere like India, you know, the culture is really different. You need to understand um, how people make decisions, how they interact, how much trust matters, you know, when people are lying, etc. Um, and in, in general, sort of um, people who like things to be done one way and can't change that or who are not, not open-minded about other cultures uh, or prepared to sort of um, change the way they behave to a certain extent will generally fail. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing from you is really adaptability, flexibility, mm-hmm. um, being observant. I think that would be that would be also a key attribute that that people would have to have to succeed. But what you said on five to ten percent of people fail in jobs anyways, when you look at it from that point of view, I guess the statistics really are not that alarming. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is about the selection process, and I'd like to hear mm-hmm. some of your opinions on that um, after the break. And one quick last question, uh, family, and I think we'll probably have to come to this a little bit more after the break. I'd like to hear, you know, you're, 
you had your family with you in seven countries because now they're pretty much uh, grown up and out of the mm-hmm. house. Yeah. And um, after the break, I'd just like to hear from you a little bit about the adaptation of the family because it's not just about the person that has the job, but it's also about how the family adapts to that local culture. But oh, for, for sure. now, yeah. So now we're going to we're gonna take a break. And to our listeners, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the family. And then we're going to talk about some of the challenges managers face when accepting overseas assignments. We're speaking with Ben Legg, CEO at Ad Parlor, a top digital marketing company based in New York. If you have questions for Ben, contact him at Ben Legg, and that's Legg with two Gs, at gmail.com. He's on LinkedIn. He's on Twitter under BG Legg, two Gs. And Ad Parlor is at www.adpoller.com. I am Kimberly Lewis, a veteran and expert in the area of leadership and diversity. You can contact me with your questions at Leadership Beyond Borders at Gmail or on LinkedIn at Leadership Beyond Borders or on my website, globalbusinesstherapy.com. Thank you, and we'll talk after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. When it comes to successful marketing, nothing speaks louder than your company name. A clear, concise, and compelling brand identity opens doors and invites further conversation. If you struggle to explain, educate, or clarify who you are and what you do, then you'll benefit from listening to Brilliant Branding with expert Phil Davis and co-host Liz Heimstra. Discover insider secrets from enlightened naming strategies to effective brand positioning. Tune in live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. What is the Forum? It's an engaged discussion with the forward-thinking experts in today's business world. Hosted by Seema Vasan, an entrepreneur and thought leader. This is a place where you can come to talk, ask, and trust. We're not looking to sell you anything, but we are here to tell you the truth. If you want to hear about honest perspectives and winning success stories, listen for The Forum, live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, the Voice of America's exciting new series on the Business Network. I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, and today we are talking to Ben Legg, CEO of Ad Parlor. And Ben's calling in from New York. I'm based in Chicago. 
And Ben, before the break, I um, came up. I came up with a question about family, and how do how do you see your family adapted quite well? They were with you in seven assignments. What are the important things to recognize around family? I think the first thing, in particular, is your spouse um, needs to also be an adventurer and. Quite often when I have seen expats fail, it's because the spouse says, I feel lonely, uh, you know, I feel out of place, I want to go home, or, or maybe I want a career and it's hard to have a career in this country. But one way or another, you need to have a spouse who is comfortable you know, making friends, um, settling kids into new schools, uh, potentially trying to have a career um, not in their home country, etc. Uh, kids in general will go with the flow. And my kids didn't know any different than living in lots of different countries. I, they were used to changing country every two or three years, and, and that to them was normal. So to, the, the most important thing is that the spouse needs to be as enthusiastic about living abroad and settling in abroad as uh, the kids. The one thing I would say with kids is there is a trade-off. My kids are incredibly international and have friends all over the world. They um, have you know, memories from all over the world. They're very confident and very sociable. But they did change school curriculums a lot between the British system, the American system, the French system, and the international baccalaureate. Oh, and they studied in the Indian system, too, at one point. So their exam grades weren't quite what I would have liked of them. Um, Personally, I think it was an okay trade. They're actually doing really well uh, at this point in their careers. But um, that's one trade-off you need to be reasonably comfortable with. Uh, But to me, the key advice is make sure the spouse is as enthusiastic and capable of settling in abroad as the person um, moving on assignment. Really, really good point because I've also seen that in some of the unfortunate expatriate failures that I have seen. On the other note, um, on the personal front, when we kind of stay with family and and the personal life, expatriates very often find themselves in in completely different personal and social situations Mm -hmm. when they move away. I mean, they might have wholesale servants. You know, sometimes they they have to meet senior government officials. It's kind of like being the big fish in the small pond syndrome. And I've seen a, a, a lot of people have difficulty, maybe because they're, they have difficulty keeping grounded when this happens. What Do you have any thoughts about that or advice about that? I know, really, it's just to not let it go to your head or, or get all arrogant. I mean, I, I think just like any anyone who rises rapidly, whether it's an expat suddenly getting hundreds or thousands of people to manage you know, or someone who's just getting rapidly promoted in, in any other job, you can either become all arrogant and lose touch with reality and think you're amazing, or you can keep challenging yourself every day to do a better job. I think for me, I mean, the biggest job I've ever done was actually running sales for Coca-Cola India, which was 20,000 people in my sales organization. It was absolutely massive and a big turnaround situation at the same time. And to make sure you don't lose sight of it, the reality is you can't get to know 20,000 people so you get to know your team well, but really think through what's the right strategy you know, what's the right routines? What's the right metrics of success? You know, how do you keep it real? In my case, that meant not just listening to reports from my direct reports, but going out and visiting the market and talking to customers. Um, but basically, just yeah, keep it real, as it were. Don't let, let it go to your head. Mm-hmm. And that actually, that was a question I had for you a little bit later, because I think when you're going to areas like Southeast Asia, expatriates end up supervising three to 10 times more people than they ever had before. And you're saying the key to that, what, what would you say to actually this, the management part? Okay, part of it's the, what's in your head and trying to keep, keep yourself grounded and balanced. And what's the key to the actual management part about that? 
I guess, obviously, for some people, if they're running, they're leading a lot more people, well, that probably means they've stepped up a level. Maybe you were a manager of people, then you become a manager of managers, or maybe you were a manager of managers, and suddenly you're a manager of, let's say, directors or, or higher level. So clearly, you need to sort of raise the bar on yourself to lead at a different level. Uh, but I think in almost any management or leadership job, you know, the, the, the principles are the same, which is what does success look like? You know, what team do I need to deliver on that success? Who needs what role within that team? Um, you know, how do I make sure everyone has the, the right goals, the right metrics, the right capabilities? How do we sort of keep an eye on success in terms of you know, monitoring things as we go? Uh, how do I sort of double check that we're still doing the right thing? Uh, you know, those principles don't really change much. So I think um, it's point. easy to yes. feel your head to explode and to get thoroughly bewildered, but actually those fundamentals are the same in almost any leadership job. Mm-hmm. So back to basics. Basically. Absolutely. Hold your ground back to basics. When when management is one issue, there's also there's also the adaptation of the cultural differences. Mm-hmm. So in the countries, I mean, there are different labor laws, there's different visit etiquette, there's language. Um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of this over the years. And I, a lot of a lot of new managers that go over students seem very surprised about this. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any suggestions on how you adapt to those kinds of things? And the best thing is probably to get a mentor. So, for example, when I, the, the, the most extreme different culture I've worked in is India. And my right-hand man was an awesome guy who you know, had grown up in India but studied in America. And um, I used him as a way of sort of saying, right, number one is tell me the top 10 mistakes that expats make. Number two is if you see me <laughs> make a mistake, tell me. Uh, number three is I'd ask him questions. So I noticed that... Uh, you know, people in a meeting behave this way or that way. Why was that? And just sort of used him as a mentor. Now, I, I had to do that because in India, people are very deferential and sort of um, conscious of you know levels. So it's very, it's not normal to criticize the boss. So I basically had to say, please criticize me. Um, you know, otherwise, I might have carried on making mistakes and being ignorant forever. But I, I sort of made a point of having people uh, proactively tell me when I was making mistakes as well as keep asking questions. Do you have any funny stories of probably the funniest mistake you ever made? Um, (laughs) I caught you on that one. I'll tell you probably one of the most bamusing things that that, uh, happened to me. So uh, I was in India and I was um, going to be the guest of honor at the sunset ceremony in Varanasi. Varanasi is the most holy city in India. And I was going to be the guest of honor because Coca-Cola did lots of good things for charity, etc. And my plane was a bit late, so I was going to be about 10 minutes late. So they held up the ceremony by about 10 minutes, so it was slightly after sunset, which is kind of fun. But anyway, it's the, the sort of the interesting uh, observation, which shows how different cultures can be, is that they saw lots of people bathing in the river because it was the Ganges and it's a holy river. Uh, but the river is disgusting. It's so full of you know, mud and um, crocodiles and the ashes of dead bodies, etc. And I thought, why on earth would anyone bathe in that? So I asked, actually, my right-hand man, the same guy, I said, uh, why are people doing that? He said, we, don't, we, we believe the river is not dirty. The river is clean and holy and pure. It's the dirt in the river that's dirty. <laughs> oh, that's so, interesting. You know, and it's actually, you can see yep. a line of logic. It yep. didn't get me yep. bathing, but it did show that people think yes. differently. And, and you know, understanding that kind of thing is important. Mm, that is that's really that's a great story that's um a really a great story because i asked you that because i was thinking i was thinking also to myself um i i had a story that when i first went to germany i 
kind of get myself in the morning into the office and I'm kind of in the zone mood because I'm not really a morning person. And I and in the northern northwestern part of Germany, if you don't say good morning to every single person in a formal way as you walk in, they take it as an insult. And finally wow. somebody sat down to me and said everybody's really upset with you. And I said, why? Because you're not saying good morning. So from then on, I had to say good morning to every single person I saw. But uh, anyways, um, let's, let's, let's stay on the, this transformation a little bit. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, expatriate managers don't always realize that they can't transform their staff uh, to their own cultural expectations and management. And I'm not just talking about Americans who go to Asia, but I mean a German who may go to Spain and finds out that not everything is on time. So it's really about not bringing, you're bringing the good parts and some of the parts of your cultural, your management experience there, but also adapting to the management style that's in that country. Do you have comments and could you talk to us about that a little bit? I think the key is that you need to think through what matters because I think some st- one of the reasons a lot of companies you know, send expats to other countries is to impose certain standards, but you can't change everything. So, for example, your point about you know what are the norms for saying good morning, starting meetings, being polite, um, you know, eating, etc. I think all of those you just got to adapt to the local norms. There's, you know, there's no point trying to be you know British or American or, or wherever you came from. But there are other things that do matter. So, for example, I, in general, have insisted that everything runs on time everywhere I go because I think it's just more professional. Um, you know, just like you've got to stamp out all, um, let's say, uh, corruption everywhere you go because it's just unacceptable. And especially if you've got um, shareholders from a Western country, you'll probably go to jail if you allow that kind of thing to continue. So I think if you, you insist on professionalism around what matters, like you know, timeliness, um, you know, honesty, um, you know, delivering what you say you do, um, paying out bonuses based on uh, numerical achievements rather than fluff, appointing people professionally rather than appointing friends. So drive rigor like that, but when it comes to the cultural norms around you know, dress and manners and meals, et cetera, as much as you can, probably just go local. Mm-hmm. And and that's where that's where I think it's it's most important, and for people to really uh, have observation skills also. And as you said, with a mentor, that was a really great tip and a really great example to find somebody local to help you along. Now, what about what about language? I mean, how uh, how important do you think that is? I would say it's it's important, but it doesn't need to be a, a showstopper. So. The reality these days in most countries in the world, the, the management team will probably operate in English. And if, even if they didn't, if you turn up and you don't speak other language, the local language, they'll probably switch to English and be fine. So in terms of running a management meeting, you're probably fine without lo- learning much of a local language. But it, that doesn't necessarily make you an or, you know, incredibly effective. Um, what I've generally done wherever I've been is uh, learn enough of the local language to say the niceties, good morning, good afternoon, uh, talk about the weather, etc. And then for more important speeches or presentations to memorize them in the local language so that I can deliver them in the local language. Even if the Q&A, I need a translator mm-hmm. because I can't quite understand people's questions or, or sort of think laterally you know, in the local language. And that's gone down really well. So typically it would mean between 12 and 24 language lessons plus the help of an interpreter to do things like um, translate speeches or translate slides 
um, has been about enough to be effective uh, in the countries I've worked in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I, I, I have also seen that, and I agree with you 100%. Most of the, the worldwide business is done in, in English now, but it's so polite just to be up there and be able to say a few words with people, to have a little chat, even order a beer or a glass of wine or water or a coffee. And um, I think many, many, many locals very, very much appreciate that when they, when they see that somebody is trying to make an effort. Yeah. So um, before, we have coming up to another break, but I have one question as that I want really want to ask you as a mm-hmm. digital expert, okay? Because a lot of people are listening to this show today. They they're thinking about international assignments. They want to see how many opportuni- opportunities are out there. Do you think that the opportunities will change? You're a digital expert. Do you think the virtual workplace will decrease the amount of international or expatriate si- uh, assignments out there in the upcoming years? I don't think so. The reality of the world is getting smaller and smaller and people are traveling more and more. So the chance of that winding back is slim. I think it may reduce things like the amount of times you need to fly because you can do a lot of stuff now over video conference. But at the same time, I think building more and more businesses will want to be global you know, and, and operate as, as one team efficiently around the world with different time zones, languages, etc. So I actually think there's going to be more opportunities, not less. But I think oh, it will okay. do is it will take away the kind of financial incentives that companies need to offer people to be an expat. Uh-huh. You go back 20 or 30 years ago, companies would you know, have to pay for your rent, your school fees, your flights to and from your home country, a whole load of other things to persuade expats to actually put up with so much hardship. Um, and in fact, when I was in, in India with Coca-Cola, I got all of those and I was thinking, this is crazy. I would have done this you know, for a normal salary because it's such a fun adventure. And here I was getting amazing incentives. But I do think more and more people want to live abroad and will go abroad effectively for you know, their normal salary plus maybe some moving costs and a few other little bits and pieces. So I think it won't be as lucrative being an expat in the future. I think there'll probably be more jobs, not less. Mm-hmm, super. And actually, I remember I remember those days because I came over to uh, what was then the Eastern Europe when the wall came mm-hmm. down. And we had like four, I think it was four weeks vacation just to make sure we weren't stressed out about being <laughs> in the Eastern Europe. So, and I was like, this is the greatest deal I could have. But, but exactly. you're right. I would have done it anyway. So, hey, um, but I, I agree with you. I, don't, I, I think there's so much interest out there and, and people are willing to... to you know, go travel, to go to countries, to do different kinds of work. And we are going to probably see that not be as lucrative as those good old days where there was a lot of money attached to any kind of expatriate position. So, Ben, we're going to come up on a break now. Um, I'd like to thank you. We're talking to Ben Legg, CEO of Ad Parlor. And when we come back, I'd like to talk to Ben about um, a little bit more about what companies have to do, okay? Um, what do companies have to do to get it right? Because we talked a little bit about not getting it right. So what are, what are the companies going to have to do to get it right to make sure the selection process? And I'd like to hear a little bit about what you do, not just in international selection process, but also also locally. So we are talking to Ben Legg, and you can reach out to Ben Legg at benlegg with two Gs at gmail.com, on his LinkedIn at Ben Legg, or BG Legg on Twitter, and the website is 
www.adpollard.com. I am Kimberly Lewis, um, also an expatriate and CEO and leadership and diversity coach. coach, And you can contact me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or on my website, globalbusinesstherapy.com. Thank you. And we'll talk to you, Ben, after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference, every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Alcohol contributes to America socially, economically, and culturally. But alcohol also impacts our health, safety, and quality of life. On Alcohol Across America, each week we present recurring issues related to community, liability litigation, social and college drinking, and the alcohol industry. Join host Dr. Brad Crever and his co-hosts every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, the Voice America's new exciting series on the Business Network. I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, a seasoned executive leadership and diversity expert. And today we're talking with Ben Legg, CEO of Adpolar Global. And we are joining you today from Prague in the Czech Republic and from New York. So, Ben, before the break, we talked a little bit about what managers have to do. And we've talked a little bit about families, adaption. I'd like, I'd like to go to companies because one of the things you said in the very beginning was that it's about selection. You have to get, you have to get it right. Okay. And yeah. maybe when you don't get it right, it, it attributes to the statistics of people failing in jobs. And it certainly attrib- attributes to the statistics of people failing in international jobs. Mm-hmm. But um, that's, that's a little bit difficult because there's not always a lot of prerequisites, uh, prerequisites and, and uh, there's not a concrete selection process that I've seen you know, the same selection process across mm-hmm. countries. What is your take on that, companies? Uh, what is your take on that? 
Yeah, so we, uh, we're as a company, we're only a few hundred people around the world, so we're not as big as a Coca-Cola, which probably have more formalized processes, um, obviously some of that I've been through. Um, from our perspective, we tend to move people between countries when they have a skill set that we need to build. So, for example, we're building a, biz very, a business very rapidly in Asia. There aren't enough digital marketing skills in Asia, so we've moved several people from the U.S. or Canada out to Asia uh, to build those skills rapidly. So the first thing is we only send our A players from our existing business um, to, to Asia, and then we make sure that they can succeed. We make sure they interview with the local teams. Um, we we uh, discuss the kind of problems they would have. We also think through, we kind of like define the problems, the, the cultural issues they will face and how do they deal with them. So, you know, for example, a lot of people in Asia will, we're sending out experts to teach um, new skills. A lot of people in Asia will say they understand something when they don't because they're just trying to be polite and helpful uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, I don't understand. So yeah, just really thinking through, are we sending people with decent empathy, curiosity, with the emotional intelligence to actually get their head around different cultures, etc. Um, so, so in many ways, most of our moves are of existing people. So obviously some other companies mm -hmm. might hire someone to be an expat. I think that's a, a double whammy. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but to hire someone from outside the company and move them countries all at the same time means they've got to learn about the new company and prove themselves while learning about the new culture and prove themselves. So in general, I would advise against it unless you're very, very sure. Um, and there's some exceptions. Like I, I moved to Kansas City to a new job and a new country, but arguably US, UK are not that different culture and, and digital marketing I understood very well even if I hadn't uh, worked you know, um, in this particular company. But, but in general, I'd say when people are changing jobs, maybe change company or change country or change uh, job responsibility uh, and try and change one at a time rather than two or three um, and that will probably dramatically increase the chance of success. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me because uh, it is it is really a double whammy. And if you don't know that person, you need to bring that person into the company first and see how they perform, and then and they have to learn the company. And Absolutely. when they go to a new country, they're learning both. So you you primarily you focus on skills, okay? Mm -hmm. And then based on the based on those set of skills, you look at that person, and and then do you look at certain attributes of that person? Um, because there's really not a a precedent. There's not like a track record of successful assignments in different countries. Mm -hmm. So how do you, from, let's say the skills are exactly what you need. What's the, what is exactly the second step that you take? Um, yeah, so, so we actually as a company, not just for experts, but for everyone, do quite a bit of work around personality profiling and under, helping everyone understand themselves and understand others and, and be able to think through differences. So I think from that side, that's, that's the skills required to be a good leader, even if you're not changing country, but it also helps change country. So, and what we found is pretty much all our A players really do understand themselves very well and understand that they're different from others and are able to adapt their style based on difference. So from that side, I guess it's almost like a company-wide culture, not just something specifically for expats. Um, you know, beyond that for expats, we will look at a few other things. You know, number one is, are they a good coach? Because an awful lot, I say a lot of people mm. we move are, we're moving to build skills rapidly. If they're going to be leading, have they been a highly effective leader in their own country? Because you know, you've got to be better than average in leadership in order to lead in another country. Uh, we will look at their track record of quitting. You know, sending people who change companies or jobs every year or two probably won't survive because 
um, you know, expats in general, there is more stress and strain and you, you need people who are not quitters. Um, so really it's a mixture of emotional intelligence, you know, skills, uh, leadership qualities and probably perseverance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, make, that makes quite a lot of sense. And then once, once they do get those jobs, Ben, and, the, and this is something that I've, I've seen with quite a few com- companies um, across the globe, what, what about support or lack of support? Because uh, sometimes the, if you're dealing with very big global companies, I don't know, maybe Coca-Cola was one of them, maybe they weren't, but I, I've witnessed it that you know they get the, get the family, the expat all packed up, they ship them off, um, they get a house, they get the kids in school, they get a local doctor, and then everything's forgotten. Okay, mm-hmm. then they're on their own. So, what about what kind of advice would you give to companies on on making sure that those expats get support? Because I think they need support once they're there. Mm-hmm. There isn't a certain transition period. Yeah, and it, it depends on on where. So, for example, uh, when we move someone from say London to New York or Singapore, they're such international mm-hmm. cities. The people we're moving are, you know, generally very gregarious, sociable people. Uh, often they're single. I don't think those people need that much support at all. Ultimately, their social life starts off revolving around the company. It ends up, you know, being a mixture of people from the company, customers, uh, general sort of friends, visitors from out of town, etc. So I think for single people in general, it's, it's helping okay. settling yeah. in. Yeah, you need yeah. checklists. You need a you need a yeah. welcome party. You need a mentor to help you through stuff. Even just like you know, how do I get a local phone or whatever it might be. Um, so I think for single people, it's relatively easy. It's more like help them settle in for a month or two. And then beyond that, it's yeah. you know, ad hoc. Uh, for families, clearly, there's a little bit more. But again, it depends on um, on the self-sufficiency of the spouse. Uh, so we've moved, for example, we've got one, one person moved from Toronto to Kuala Lumpur. Uh, but his wife is awesome. They're totally chill. They did need help settling in for a month or two. But beyond that, um, didn't really need much help. So there, there's a because if, if the spouse is self-sufficient, uh, they can work stuff out. Google helps a lot these days too, working out how to get stuff done. Um, mm-hmm. And especially, I think, for people with kids at home and a spouse that doesn't work, you often build up a, a network of expat friends and advisors through things like the other parents at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be a phenomenal network. I think where you know people would need, maybe families would need more support might be, for example, if you've got a spouse who doesn't have kids and is trying to get a job and, and failing. You know, if you don't fix something like that, then uh, ultimately you've got an unhappy spouse who wishes they were working and isn't and has way too much time on their hands and you've probably got a failing expat. Uh, yeah. So that would be a, a major um, area. Or if, for example, if somehow the school falls through and so you've got a, a sort of a, often a mum, but it could be a dad sort of pulling their hair out because the kids didn't get into the favorite school. They're going to a, a, a mediocre school and there are plenty of them for expats around the world. And... Um, they're kind of thinking this is not working out. You know, things like it is critically important to have you know families in a, in a house they're happy with, in a school that the kids are happy with, and if this, the spouse wants to work, making sure they actually find a way to uh, you know stay employed and and happy. Um, but you know, a lot does depend on the individuals and how much they can build their own network. But I'd say that they're probably the main areas is spouses that want to work probably need more help because that's a lot harder than. Uh, spouses with kids or for single people. 
Mm-hmm. And that comes down to, to uh, getting actually work visas and work allotments also um, because it's not always easy for the spouse to work. Usually usually the, the manager or the expat going over will have those and um, you need additional paperwork. Absolutely. It's just not easy. And I think, I think that's one thing a lot of people don't realize and a lot of people that I hear, and I don't know if you hear this, say, well, I'm just going to go to Ireland and work for a couple months or a couple years. Uh, I'm going to go to Czech Republic and work for a, two years. But it, it's, not, it's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like, it, 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 it depends on the individual, depends on, on their spouse. Yeah. I mean, so I, I've seen plenty of people pretty much up sticks and move. Um, again, it depends on the change of culture, yeah. depends on the job you're in, depends on the company too. So, for example, yeah. a lot of our social events are with plus ones. I think that's a it, we don't do that because of expats. We do it just because it's nice for you know our, our yeah. other halves to know who you work with. Um, right. But it also means that they can plug into that network and you know get to know each other as well. So there's sort of a lot of good let's say company norms that aren't just about expats, but ultimately let people feel included. Great. So this has been this has been such great advice, uh, Ben. And as we get get to the end of our program today, I just like to ask you if you have a two tips. So um, one tip for for our listeners out there who would really like to work overseas. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for them? And and how do you, how do they know if they're ready or right for that? What would be your yeah. tip for them? So I'd say uh, number one, given that. Most companies won't hire you and send you abroad on day one. Work for a company that would move you if you built the right skills, um, because you're, you're much more likely to be moved within a company than to a new company. And number two is develop the skills that are in demand in the countries you want to work in. So in my world, you know, anyone that's world class at um, digital marketing uh, is you know, quite likely or certainly have, will have the option of moving abroad if they want to. Um, whereas maybe in, I don't know, accounting, it might be harder um, because there are probably accounting skills all over the world, unless you have issues with corruption, you want to move you know, honest people abroad. So number one, le- learn the skills that are in demand abroad and work for a company that will move you. Uh, number two is um, actually apply. I mean, a lot of people, I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I've never been moved abroad. And I said, well, have you ever looked at what openings are posted abroad and applied for them? Well, no. Uh, well, you know, if you're not that proactive, you're never going to work abroad. So actually, you know, hustle a bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what about companies? Okay. Cause we have a lot of, we have a lot of leaders from companies who are sending people abroad. Mm-hmm. What would be your tips to them? I'm the, the most important is only send people you think will succeed and make sure that includes their, their spouse or other half, because you need an individual that will succeed. They need to be you know, really good at their job, really good leaders, really good empathy, good curiosity, you know, well-traveled, et cetera. But number two, they're not going to steamroll their spouse into moving and then their spouse regrets it. It needs to be uh, a spouse who also um, wants to move abroad and is likely to succeed abroad. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, Ben, this has been really, really insightful, and I want to thank you. And our listeners, we've been listening to Ben Legg, CEO of Ad Parlor, and Ben is a digital expert, speaker, and author. And I have to just throw in, Ben, a really cool guy. Okay? <laughs> I mean, the, the only time I really had a problem with you is when we had to have that paintball 
uh, executive <laughs> outing with paintball. Okay, then I went. Oh, that was tough because Ben was really good at it. Okay, so <laughs> um, so I really thank you so much for being with us today. And our listeners, uh, Ben Ben Leg can be reached at Ben Leg. That's Leg with two G's at Gmail dot com. He's on LinkedIn at Ben Leg. His Twitter is BG Leg. And check out his company, www.adparlor.com. So thank you again, Ben, and I hope we it's been insightful, great advice from, a, from an expat vet, veteran, and I hope to see you again soon, or pleasure. talk to you again soon at least. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> great. So that wraps up today's episode, and I'd just like to make my own little comments because I think um, you've heard a lot of positive advice today. We've heard some really great stories from Ben, and uh, I know Ben has been so successful in all his positions, and it was really, really an honor to have him. But I'm going to give you two little funny stories myself, okay, because when you are an expat, you and you work in an international assignment, you do have to adapt, and you're going to have embarrassing moments. And I think my most embarrassing moment was when I ordered dog meat in German instead of chicken, okay, because the words sound very, very similar. And then one time in the Czech Republic, I ended up in a Czech jail because they thought I stole the car because what I didn't know, that companies used to, and this is a while ago, in the Czech Republic, they'd order company cars and the same key fit all the cars. And I took the wrong car and then got arrested for stealing the car and ended up in a Czech jail. Now I got out and I don't have a record, but these are just some of the funny things that happen in expatriate assignments that you have to be flexible and adaptive and be ready for. And it, but on the other hand, it is a lot of fun, but it is challenging and it does take a lot of work. So I've, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Leadership Beyond Borders is a program sponsored by Global Business Therapy SRO and the Women's Leadership Academy 2020 and Ponytail Talk Executive Coaching for Women. We provide leadership training, systemic team coaching certification, motivational speaking, and much more. If you'd like to contact me, and please do, your host, Kimberly Lewis, please send me a mail at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or visit my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net or globalbusinesstherapy.com. Visit us on Facebook at Leadership Beyond Borders, under LinkedIn at Kimberly Lewis or Leadership Beyond Borders, and download us from iTunes and subscribe to all our series. We have a lot of great subjects, and each week we have something new and some advice for you and some tips from you with, from experts from around the world. So until next week, my leadership word for the day is experience. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.